Hey, Christ community, uh, greetings to our traditions venue and all of you who are watching online or on our app or however you're, you're engaging us. We are glad all of you are, are a part of this. Today we're, we're finishing up a teaching series entitled Still. So in this five-week series, we've been talking about how we can quiet the noise Within, I mean, the reality is the busyness and the technological distractions of life, our phones, social media, all that stuff, they, they have created this, really, this perfect storm for our souls where we unintentionally disconnect from our soul, that part of us that dreams and feels and, and creates and connects with God. And so in this series, we have been talking about how we can quiet the noise within and cultivate an inner life with God. And what we're learning is the critical importance of solitude, of carving out time to be alone with God, to be present with ourselves, to be present to him. And I mean, it's so fun, actually, it's been so fun to get emails and have people just share in the lobby or share stories with me about how they have been practicing um, these, these, these things. <clears throat> A friend of mine said that <clears throat> he was in the dentist office <clears throat> And he had some anxiety, uh, just was feeling ang anxious about a crown. He was getting a crown. He was laying there and, and, uh, and was feeling anxiety. And he remembered that first practice the, from the first week of being present to our bodies. And so he began to do that, just the centering prayer, you know, the breath prayer that we've been learning and being present to his body. And he told me it was amazing, the experience of peace that he had in that moment. Someone else just told me about a job interview, same kind of thing happened where in the middle of the job interview, she was just practicing this and experiencing the Lord's peace. <clears throat> Another person <clears throat> shared with me, about how this series has prompted her to go on a 90-day fast from technology, other than texting and email. So no television, no social media. And with tears in her eyes, she was sharing about how she is having more engaging conversations with her children, and, 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 and she's, more, she's more patient. She was able to teach one of them how to ride a bike. All these simple joys with them have become more, more meaningful. She shared about how she's been way more present to her husband and way more present to the Lord throughout her day, hearing his voice and hearing him give her insight into various situations. Another person shared with me, actually before the series started, just shared with me how in his own story, how practicing solitude and stillness have been a huge help for him in his, in his struggle with depression. See, one thing that is clear in these stories is that the practice of solitude is a transformational experience. It is a transformational experience. So today I want us to focus in on the transformation that can happen in solitude. We're going to go back to a story that we, we started looking at two weeks ago, <clears throat> the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 in the Old Testament. Elijah lived at a time, <clears throat> the time during King Ahab, with, with King Ahab in, in charge. He was king of Israel, but he was not following God. And so in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah has this major spiritual victory over the prophets of Baal publicly exposing their God as powerless. Well, immediately after that, Ahab's very evil wife, Jezebel, um, sends Elijah this death threat, which landed like a grenade, really, in Elijah's heart. He was filled with fear, and he ran for his life. 
He knew his heart was not in a good place, and so he runs away. But he actually runs away with a purpose. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he, was, while, he, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. See, he's, he's getting alone, right? In this place of emotional upheaval, Elijah knows he needs solitude. He knows he needs time alone with God. And what we see in this, this whole experience of solitude, in this whole chapter, we see some powerful transformation that happens in Elijah's heart and life. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at just one aspect of this, the first part of it, but now we're gonna go deeper in this story and we're, gonna, we're together gonna discover five transformative things that Elijah experiences in solitude and that we can experience as well as we are practicing solitude. Okay, the first thing Elijah experiences is rest. Rest, look at verse four. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Almost immediately, when he gets into this quiet, alone place to be with God, he falls asleep. How many of us have had this happen? Right? When, when we finally make time to be alone with God, we set aside time and we, we have a hard time staying awake. We fall asleep. We can't keep our eyes open. And a lot of times we beat ourselves up over that. I must be a lousy Christian. I can't even stay awake to be with God, this solitude thing. It must not be for me, blah, blah, blah. Or we just plow through it. We load up on caffeine, you know, so that we can stay awake, even though our mind is, you know, really hard to, it's hard to focus and concentrate all, but we're staying awake. But could, could I offer another response that is totally biblical? If you're falling asleep when you set aside time to be with God, it's because your body needs it. Your body needs more sleep. It needs more physical rest. So feel free to fall asleep in God's presence if that's what your body needs at that moment. There is no need to feel guilty. He'll be there when you wake up, okay? He wants to be with you. What Elijah shows us here is the importance of being present to our body and what our body needs. So in the next few verses, we see that an angel comes and, and, and shows up, provides food and water. So Elijah gets physical nourishment. And what does Elijah do after eating and drinking this nourishment? Verse six, he ate and drank and then lay down again. He falls asleep again. I mean, is he lazy? Is he like unspiritual? No, he is really, really tired. In fact, a better word would, would probably be exhaustion. Elijah is exhausted. He's running for his life. He's just had this very dramatic mountaintop experience, but it was very dramatic, a lot of public demonstration there. He's exhausted from all the stress, demands, you know, all this, that he's experiencing. He needs rest. So listen, folks, for some of us, the most spiritual thing we could do is take a nap and not feel guilty about it. Meet your body's need for sleep and rest the practice of Sabbath that KJ talked about last week also fits into the Sabbath as a weekly rhythm where we give our bodies and our hearts and our minds space to rest. We stop producing and doing and consuming and shopping for a 24-hour period of time, right? And we take time to slow down 
to take a nap or whatever is restful. Our bodies and our souls need this. I was inspired by KJ's message. And, and so this week, I carved out this time um, because I work on Saturdays, you know, and Sundays both. I carved out this time Thursday afternoon. So I worked Thursday morning then from like one o'clock and I was on the golf course at first. So that's the first part of my Sabbath, right? Um, and then Raylene and I had just, we have this routine on Thursday nights, eat dinner at this place with, with Josh. And, and uh, then we had kind of some fun time together, um, just uh, watching some stuff movies and stuff like that. And, and, uh, so it was very, it was very fun. So my, it started Thursday afternoon, my Sabbath. And then what KJ talked about that really inspired me was sort of waking up in the Sabbath. And I'd never thought about that before. And so Friday morning I woke up and got Josh, you know, we had to get up early, get Josh on the bus, everything. Usually I'll go exercise, but I thought, hold it. No, I'm still in the Sabbath here. And that's more of an ought to, even though I like to exercise, but that's more of an ought to. So I went back to bed. I went to sleep. I actually kind of slept in for like a couple more hours. And I just thought of how um, I think that's, that's a part of what the Sabbath rhythm, it's a part of what solitude, the gift that these things can bring to us. Sometimes we just need rest. We just need physical rest. Second thing Elijah experiences in solitude is waiting. And we don't want to hear this, but it's, it's, it happens here, okay? It's not what we want to hear, but it's really a vital part of our experience of solitude. Because we long for mountaintop, glorious experiences with God, right? Wonderful times. We, we long for that. But often, in times of solitude, it involves a posture of waiting where nothing seems to be happening at all. So look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So after Elijah nourishes his body through food and sleep, he then goes on this 40-day journey. Now, the language of 40 days and 40 nights, it's a way, it was a way in ancient literature just to describe a very focused journey. This is not to be taken literally that he didn't sleep for 40 days or whatever. It just speaks of this intensity of focus. Elijah desperately... He desperately wants to get to Mount Horeb. Why does he want to get to Mount Horeb? Because Elijah knew that Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai, was a place of encounter with God. It was the, on, on this mountain that God um, called to Moses from the burning bush. It was on this mountain where Moses received the Ten Commandments from God. It was on this mountain where God revealed his personal name as Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. Elijah knew that Mount Horeb was a place of revelation. It was a place of encounter with God. And so in his resting, Elijah realizes he desperately needs an encounter with God. So he travels to Mount Horeb, which is about 260 miles away. So for 40 days, he is walking. Didn't require a fast pace to go that distance in 40 days. So about five, six miles a day, he's walking alone in the desert for 40 days, desperate to get to Mount Horeb to encounter God. But he's not there yet. He's not there yet. There's a song that we have done a few times in worship. It talks about being in the waiting. Elijah is in the waiting. See, on this journey, he's not encountering God. He's not hearing his voice. He's not really experiencing his presence. He is in this place of aloneness. He is in this place of, of, of desperation, 
right? Which can be very unnerving. He's in this place of emptiness and aloneness. It can be very unnerving. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and I want to keep reminding us of this, one of the reasons why many of us struggle to make time for solitude is actually not a scheduling problem. One of the reasons we struggle to make time for solitude, it's, it's this fear we have of being alone with ourselves, of being alone with our thoughts and with our feelings, with our hearts. It's just easier just to stay busy, stay distracted, but then suddenly we're by ourselves. It can feel a little terrifying to be alone with our thoughts and ourselves. But you see, this is a critical part of our journey toward wholeness. If we just stay distracted and busy, we will miss this. This is such an important part of having a whole heart of experiencing wholeness of heart. In his book, The Way of the Heart, um, Henry Nouwen, um, this is a, an older book, so some of the, the quotes going to feel a little dated a little bit, but it's so powerful. He vividly describes what happens to him in solitude. Look, check this out. He says, in solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. No friends to talk with, no phone calls to make, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain, no books to distract, just me. Naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken, nothing. Everything in me wants to run to my friends, my work, and my distractions so that I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe that I'm worth something. That is so powerful. You see, solitude, what he's saying is solitude is this place where all the things we've been trusting in, right, for our, for our self-esteem, oh, I'm working really hard, look at all my awards, and all the things we've been trusting in, all the things we've been deriving our self-worth from, those things are exposed and removed. We're not working. We're not texting our friends or keeping up on Instagram. No, it's just us and God. And that can be a really unnerving place for us, but it can also be a life-giving place. Jesus said, first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, think about what this is saying. The kingdom of heaven, in other words, the presence of God, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about just going to heaven. He's talking about this reality now. The presence of God is most accessible to those who realize their emptiness apart from him. It's, it's in that place where all my accolades and all my to-do lists and all my accomplishments and all my friendships, all those things are removed. It's in that place that I realize my utter need for God. I realize my utter need for God. So see, it's in the waiting that our desperation for God increases. The, the biblical idea of waiting is not what we think. We think waiting is sort of like, you know, it's this place of inactivity and boredom, but that's not where nothing's really happening, but that's not the biblical view of waiting. In the example of Elijah here, we see this place of waiting as he's walking in the wilderness, there's movement. He's waiting, but there's movement. He is moving toward God. He is desperate to experience God. So don't be discouraged if in your solitude, as you're practicing solitude, it initially feels, or sometimes it just feels empty and, and, and unsettling. Let that, let that reality uh, just 
facing that reality, let it fuel your hunger for God. Let it fuel your pursuit of God in your poverty of spirit. Let it fuel your need and your desperation for God, which is what happens to Elijah. So then the third thing Elijah experiences in solitude is feeling. Um, now, we, we, we talked about this in detail a, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, and so I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I, I want to revisit it just for a moment because we already saw how Elijah, when he first made time for solitude, remember, he, he's just openly expressing to God where his heart's at. I've had enough, Lord, he says, you know, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And th- this, is, this is almost like a suicide note. I mean, it, he's, he's that just discouraged He's, he's letting God know exactly where his heart is. He's not pretending. He's letting God know what he's feeling. He's exhausted. He's afraid. He's feeling insecure. And he lets God know about this. So this is what I, we re, I referred to two weeks ago as, as being present to our hearts. Right? We're being present to our bodies in solitude. We can be present to God. And then we are present to our hearts, being aware of what our heart is feeling and naming it. Just naming it in the Lord's presence. God, I'm feeling afraid. God, I'm feeling stressed. God, I'm feeling lonely. So then, after that initial um, experience of the heart, once Elijah gets to Mount Horeb, God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And Elijah answers, verse 10. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I mean, do you hear, again, the frustration, the disillusionment, the self-pity, the fear? Elijah, again, he's just opening his heart up to God, the good, the bad, the ugly, which is exactly what God wants. This is exactly what God wants. In solitude, we slow down long enough to be present to our hearts and to experience what we're feeling in God's presence. We're no longer ignoring it, minimizing it, denying it. We are feeling it in God's presence. And again, we looked at this two weeks ago. So if you missed that message, I encourage you to to listen. Um, Just like the other two weeks, we described a spiritual practice you can use to help you each week of the series. Other than the Sabbath week, we, we, well, there's sort of a practice there, but we had a specific practice to do in prayer for each of the other weeks, including this week. And so you can find those at the information area as handouts. You can find them on our website, or you can also find them in a real-time experience called Present Practice on our social media channels. So in solitude, we can be present to our hearts. We, We feel in the Lord's presence. Which leads to the fourth thing that Elijah experiences in solitude, and that is hearing. Hearing. He hears God speak. He hears God's voice. So Elijah had rested. He'd been in the waiting, right? He's opened his heart to God, and then God speaks. And what's fascinating, and I think really helpful in this story, is how God speaks to Elijah. How he speaks Check this out, verse 11. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. See, all of these were ways God could have spoken through the wind, through earthquake, fire. He, he could have done that. Vivid demonstrations, he could have done that. 
Elijah had seen him bring fire down. So Elijah had you know, seen kind of these things. But that was not how God wanted to communicate with Elijah here. Verse 12, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. See, God was in the whisper. This is how God most often speaks to us. It's not in the dramatic, audible voice, the lightning across the sky sort of experience. You know, not in shouts to get our attention. God rarely shouts at us or to us. No, he most often speaks to us in a whisper, in a gentle whisper, a word or a picture or a thought, a scripture that just gently drops into our heart and mind, settles into our soul, but it's something we could easily dismiss because he's whispering. Whispers are easy to dismiss, right? That's the deal about a whisper. Whispers can be easily ignored by us, especially in the midst of the noise and the busyness of our lives. I mean, if you're in a school cafeteria or you're in a restaurant or any other busy place where people are around and someone shouts, you notice. Everyone turns and looks, right? If someone or the person you're with shouting, you kind of notice that, okay? But if someone whispers, you're not going to hear it unless you lean in. I mean, what do we instinctively do when someone begins to whisper to us? We lean in. We, we, pay we have to pay attention to hear the whisper. See, this is why solitude becomes such an important part of our lives. It's in solitude where our minds and our hearts are quiet. There's no music playing. There's no distractions. There's no people around. It's in, it's in that solid, that place of solitude where we can better hear the whisper of God. We, we can better hear him speak to our hearts because, again, he's not shouting. He's whispering. And you need quiet to hear a whisper. Solitude becomes this place where we slow down long enough and we remove ourselves from the distractions and the noise around us in order to hear his gentle whisper. So what kind of things might he whisper to us? What kind of things might, might God say? Well, in Elijah's case, a couple of things happened. First of all, God gave him direction. He gave him direction for the next step of his, of his experience. So he spoke to him about some specific next steps. You can see this for yourself. Go anoint this king, he said, and go anoint this younger prophet, Elisha. And so he gave him some next steps, which sometimes happens when God speaks to us, right? I want you to write this person a letter. I want you to respond as well, whatever. So th that may be part of it. But God speaking to him was not only about giving to him direction. God also spoke specifically to something Elijah had opened up his heart about. So remember, remember just a moment ago, Elijah basically said, I'm the only one of your prophets left. I'm the only one, you know, it's just me. And, and he said that, remember? So notice what God says to him, verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. Notice what God is doing. He is speaking truth to Elijah's heart. He's giving him perspective. You think you're the only one? You're not the only one. There are 7,000 other people in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal. You are not the only one. See, we need times of solitude where God can speak his truth. He, he can speak 
speak his perspective into our hearts and our emotions and our minds. Places where, just like Elijah, we've been listening to lies or we've been, we've been paying attention to wrong assumptions. I'm the only one, right? How many times do we make assumptions about reality? It's not true, but we believe it to be true. And so then we experience all these emotions related to that. I mean, so Elijah, God was actually speaking to Elijah's wrong assumptions. He was speaking truth. When I feel insecure and unworthy, God can whisper his words of love to my heart and to your heart through his spirit and his word. When we feel like we're all alone, God, God can remind us of the truth of his presence with us always. When, when, when we feel shame, God can speak words of mercy and forgiveness. See, in, in, in our being present to our heart, we then can tune in to what God wants to say to us in that place. He may want to speak truth. He wants to give us his perspective. So one of the ways that I like to do this, one of the ways that I like to, to hear God um, or try to hear God when I, when I really need to hear from him is I will get my journal out. I don't write in every day, but, but um, when I want to kind of hear from God, I'll, I'll get a journal, my journal out and I'll write out a question that I want to ask God. <clears throat> um, and then I'll just, I'll, I'll ask the, I'll write it out and then I'll just listen with my heart and I'll write down whatever I hear him saying. It's a way to learn how to hear his voice. It's a way to increase our sense of expectancy, how to hear his whisper. Uh, I don't worry about evaluating what I'm hearing. I just write it down. I can evaluate it later. I'm just trying to get the faucet going, right? I'm just trying to get the flow going. So I'm just writing down whatever is being dropped into my heart and mind. I can evaluate it later. Sometimes these questions can be a really simple question. In fact, we're, we're going to, I just want to try this just for a moment. Um, we're going to just take like, 15 seconds and do this. Okay. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a question to ask God. And then I want you just to take a moment and listen to see if he responds. So pay attention again. We're not listening for an audible voice. We're paying attention to the first thought that gently drops into our mind or our heart. Okay. That's what we're paying attention to. So just close your eyes for a moment. Here's a question. God, what do you like about me? So what was the first thing that came to your mind and your heart? That's what you want to pay attention to, okay? We're listening with our heart. By asking a question like that, we're, we're tuning into the whisper. If you didn't hear anything, don't sweat it. This is a learning process. We are learning together. We're practicing. The more you practice things like that, the more you'll grow in this. Again, that was a short period of time. But what I, what I like about doing it even in a short period of time like that is just a reminder that often we, we hear God, but we dismiss it. Oh, that can't be God. Right? That can't be God. You know, that we're just with this knee-jerk sort of reaction. But what if it is him? And we just need to learn how to practice tuning into how he speaks to us. Okay, so that's why a practice like that can be really helpful. Asking him questions it increases our attentiveness, our expectancy that he wants to speak to us. And of course, God also speaks to us through, through the Bible. 
through his word. This happens all the time. That's why I think our time alone with God, just having the word be a part of that, is, is the truth of God's word can become this reminder to us of who he is and how he feels about us and giving his perspective. And so this week, as a part of our journey in solitude, we're going to do a spiritual practice to help us hear God's voice through the Bible, through his word. But before we do that practice together, I want to highlight one other thing that Elijah experiences at the end of his time of solitude, and that is re-entry. Re-entry. After this experience of solitude, where Elijah experiences rest and waiting and feeling and hearing God speak, Elijah, this is so cool, after all of that, Elijah now has the inner resources to re-enter his world. And what makes it so significant is remember where he started. We just looked at this. Remember where he started. I've had enough. I'm done. Just end it all right here. He was done. Right? He was just at the end of his rope. He was discouraged. He was down. Felt hopeless. But now he's ready to re-engage. To be about the mission that God had called him to. So we see at the end of this chapter, Elijah going out from this place of solitude. He goes out from Mount Horeb and he does exactly what God told him to do. He, he anoints this particular person as king and then he anoints Elisha as, as his prophet apprentice. Now here's what's so cool about this. Elijah's heart and soul are now in a better place so he can go about these things. His soul is now in a better place so he can now go kind of re-enter the world and, and, and engage in these things. And here's, here's what I want us to learn from this. The, the consistent practice of solitude. I hope it's not just this, I five, oh, that was a cool topic and now we're moving on to something else. I hope this becomes something we are practicing. That was the whole goal of this was to get these things in our, in, that we're practicing them. But the consistent practice of solitude over time will transform you. The consistent practice of this over time will transform you. It will help you be a more loving husband or wife. It, it, it will help you be a more patient parent. It will help you be a more respectful child. It will help you be a more attentive friend. The consistent practice of solitude over time will help you be a more compassionate neighbor, a more responsible and focused employee, a more caring boss, a more peaceful presence wherever you go. See, over time, the practice of solitude helps us become like Jesus. It's that significant because now our soul is in a healthy place and we can re-engage. Practices or these, these things in taking time for solitude, it helps us be present to ourselves. So we're kind of in tune with what's going on. It helps us be present to God in such a way that we are actually transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Now again, tomorrow we need it again. So it's not like, oh, I'm like, Jesus, now I'm done. Uh, no, it's like, uh, I have what I need to re-engage. And then the next day, I'm doing that again, right? And we're, we're the, this consistent time of solitude, this rhythm of solitude enables us to, con this, to engage in our lives, in our relationships. 
But as we've been saying all along in this series, the choice is ours. If, if we don't make time for this, if we thought, hey, this is just a cool series and that was kind of helpful, but we don't make time for this, you know, the, the, it won't happen. What we're talking about, the transformation we're talking about won't happen. What will happen is the inertia of life will just pull us back into this vortex of busyness and distraction and our souls will just dry up. But when we choose to make time for this, consistently building it into our lives, our souls are restored over and over again. Our souls are restored. And so my prayer is that you and I grow in our experience of transformative solitude, making time to regularly be alone with Jesus. That's my prayer. So as we've done in the, in the other weeks in this series, we want to take some time now to do a spiritual exercise together um, to help us practice this part, practice hearing God speak to us. Um, this is a great practice to do after you've been present to your body, so just a couple minutes of being present, you could do that first part. And then being present to the Lord, being present to your heart. So those things, as you're, you spend a few minutes just doing that, where am I at? And just imagining God with you, all those things that we've been practicing. You're then in a great place to receive truth from God, to hear him speak to you. And so we've already practiced asking God a question, which is one way to do that. Um, but we're, we're going to practice another exercise together. And in this exercise, we're going to let God speak to us from his word. This particular practice is something that believers have done for centuries, like from the third century. So long time, history, historically, long time. Um, it's, something, it's sometimes called contemplative prayer. Sometimes it's called Lectio Divina, um, which means divine reading. And there are many different forms of this. So if you look up Lectio Divina online and it's like, that's not exactly what Alan was doing. There are very different forms of this, but you'll get the basic idea. There are many different ways to do this. But in this practice, we're, we're going to take a small portion of Scripture and we're going to approach it not as we would a typical Bible study, but rather we're going to we're going to engage this scripture with all of our senses, including our imagination, okay? Um, the key is that we slow down in the passage and we allow ourselves to actually enter into what's happening, experiencing Jesus in this passage. So this works well with passages that have a lot of, have some image, a lot of imagery like Psalm 23, those kinds of passages, or it works really well with a gospel story from Jesus' life, which is what we're going to do here there's no pressure if you're not comfortable doing this. I'm not forcing anyone to do something. We're, we're learning together. So if you're willing to practice this, I, ask you, I would ask you just to close your eyes. Just close, close our eyes. Just quiet our hearts. Now, in just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slowly read a passage from the book of Luke. And as I read, what I want you to do, I want to encourage you to actually put yourself in this scene. So this isn't about gathering information. You're, I want you to imagine that you're there, hearing the sounds, feeling the water on your skin. And encounter Jesus in this story. And if at any point your mind takes you a different direction, then I'm going, go for it. Don't feel like you have to follow me. So Holy Spirit, lead us. Jesus, we ask you now, use your word to speak to each one of us right where we are. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. 
So they got into the boat and set out. So imagine yourself getting in this boat with Jesus. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in grave danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. So just stay in this place, and I just want to ask just a couple questions for you to consider. Is there something in this story that really, that stood out to you, something that Jesus might be inviting you to experience in him? What, what do you find yourself longing for after hearing this passage? Just think about that. So take a moment and turn that, whatever is stirring in your heart, turn that into just a silent prayer to Jesus to experience him more deeply in this particular area, in this particular storm or whatever or area, this particular area of your life. Just turn it into a silent prayer to him.
So God, thank you for the ways that we just encountered you in your word. To see you more clearly, to experience you more fully. Just help us continue to grow in our ability to hear from you as we carve out time for solitude. Through your word, through your spirit, continue to speak what our souls need to hear. And help us all in this journey of solitude just to grow. To grow in our intimacy with you. That our souls would be restored over and over and we would just kind of live out of this place of wholeness, of inner quiet and wholeness. So I pray for that for each one of us. So we want to continue just to encounter Jesus in this space. So if if God is still speaking to you from that passage, that's awesome. You can remain seated and let him continue to just process that with him. Um, If you want to encounter him through singing, we invite you in just a moment. We invite you. You can sit or stand, but you can sing with the worship team, sing to the Lord. If God prompts you in your worship to give him an offering, there are offering boxes around, or you can text or whatever. Giving is a response of worship to the Lord, right? Or maybe you need prayer and you just want someone to pray with you, and our prayer team is available at the prayer stations, and you can just slip out of your seat and go back there during worship or after the service. So Jesus, we just want to enter into this time. We're already... I feel like we're already encountering you and experience you, experiencing you. And I just pray for more of that. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here in this place of this safe place. We love you, God. Set us free to experience, to worship you, to pray, whatever you're stirring in our hearts to do. Thank you, Lord.